What's going on guys? Welcome to episode 7 of Property is a Game of Finance. Today we're joined by Ben from Bayswater Financial. He's a financial planner. Um, how you going, man? I'm good, Jack. Thanks for having me on today. No worries. Thanks for coming on. You've been, we've been working together for, I don't know, when did you come to the office that time? I've been working with you for about a year and a half now directly. Yep. I've been working with your company for probably four years. Mm, yeah. So you were first introduced, well, I knew about you before you came into the office because we had a, a process where we were sending out emails to clients once they've hit formal approval, asking them to reach out to you and get financial, uh, like get insurances and stuff because they've got more debt. But I never really, I never really pushed it until you actually came in the office and, and had a chat to us about how serious it is. Yeah, that that's right. I mean, I... I originally came to a lot of a lot of the business that we get off mortgage brokers is purely on the back of recommending appropriate insurances to their clients because they've taken out new debt. Um, a lot of people don't really understand what types of insurances are on offer and why they're important and also what they cost and 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 whatnot. Um, getting in front of people like yourself and explaining it to you in person is pretty much the only way to really get it, get it through to people and. Um, yeah, since I've done that, you've been referring a lot of business to me, which is great. Yeah, <laughs> and then I've I've got you to do the podcast now, so thanks for that. <laughs> My first one, by the way, and um, I'm enjoying it. So you're doing far. well, man. You're doing well. <laughs> Stay calm. Nah, so um, so you're you're a part owner of Bayswater Financial, right? Yeah, that's right. So Bayswater Financial is a financial planning company. Um, we've been around for about five years now. Uh, me and two friends. Got together and we started our own company. Um, we've all worked in the financial services industry for probably over ten years each. Um, it's me, myself, Christopher Hall, and Bay District. Our office is down at Rose Bay, um, which is a nice part of town, and um, we're on the road a fair bit and on Zoom a fair bit as well these days doing business. Yeah. So, how many aspects of the business are there in the financial planning business? That's a good because you, you specialize um, in insurance. Yeah. So, we tend to focus on insurance advice, um, which is personal advice these days. Um, we're also licensed to give advice around superannuation, retirement planning, and strategic financial planning. So, you know, investment advice, asset advice, um, budgeting and cash flow management. Um, but as I was telling one of your colleagues before the podcast started, most people come to an advisor with a specific you know, issue or something specific they want to sort out. Um, and we tend to focus on that and give them advice around that area. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, insurance is one of, I've, I've said it on previous podcasts before, insurance is one of the biggest risk mitigations when someone's buying property, investing in property. Um, cash flow, I mean, a cash buffer is, a, is another one. I mean, because if you can't work or, or something happens when you, you lose your income, and you've got all these loans that you're you're supposed to pay off, and you don't have insurance, you're kind of screwed, right? Okay, so we're going to talk about the importance of having insurance. Let's do so that. It's a good thing. So most people, when they buy an investment property or buy their a home, take out debt to do that. Most people don't turn up to the you know to a, an auction and go, "Here's a million bucks cash," or buy the house for a million bucks. They go to a bank, mm -hmm. a lender, someone like you, Jack, yeah. and they borrow the money. Now, if something was to happen to them after they took out the debt and they were to pass away, if they had dependents, like a partner who was dependent or children or anyone who's financially dependent on them, who's there to service the debt now? 
um, no one. So the life insurance policy can, you know, cover the debt. So there, there's no debts or obligations left for the, the dependents. And it can also leave a cash buffer, which can help finance the children until they reach 18 or 21 or however old they need to be to be financially independent. So life insurance does make sense for a lot of people. You know, again, there's no point having life insurance if you've got no dependents and you've got no obligations. I get that. But if you're taking out a loan, buying an investment property and you've got kids and whatnot, um, seeking advice around life insurance is something I'd strongly recommend um, to anyone. Um, but there's also other insurances. It's not just life insurance. People think it's life insurance and that's it. No, there's there's a, other policies such as tail and permanent disability cover, um, income protection and trauma. The income, I won't talk too much about TPD and trauma now because it, um, it's a fair bit in it, but Income protection is something where any, most people who live in Sydney, you know, who work, their cost of living's gone through the roof, you know, the food, petrol, and also the mortgage costs have gone up. If they were to become injured and they couldn't work, yeah, there's a bit of sick pay and holiday pay, but for most people, it might run out after 30 or 60 days. Then after that, who's going to pay the bills? And an income protection policy is something which we recommend to a lot of people that um, helps cover the cost of, of living until a doctor says, you know, you're right to go back to work. Um, and it can be for on the grounds of, you know, physical and, and mental reasons why they can't work. Um, and unfortunately, the bad things happen to good people and having insurances in place just means that they're covered if it does happen to them. Yeah. I mean, life insurance is probably the only one I wouldn't get because you're dead anyways. Doesn't really matter, right? <laughs> nah, just joking. A, I have yeah. I have a kid on the way. I think that will change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it'll change very, very quickly, and yeah. also your life is going to change very, very quickly, Jack. Yeah, look forward to it. No, I just I just got approved for a unit upstairs, so my to and from work distance is like a minute. <laughs> yeah, nice one, nice one. Let's talk about the application process of getting insurance because you you not everyone is guaranteed to qualify for insurance, right? Yeah, so. There's two types of policies with insurances. There's there's grouped or pooled policies, which is you know usually the def the default cover which people have through most of their industry super funds. So, you know Australian Super or Hester or whatnot. If you don't change your insurance within them and you just take it out, they'll give you a default level of cover. Now they're known as pooled policies where they don't underwrite you. They don't call you up and go, look, before we give you this default cover, we want to ask about your height, your weight, and your, your health record or anything so like that. So did you say that's what you have within super? Yeah, yeah. You, you, you can, and it's common to have yeah. default cover with your industry super fund. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that they give to you automatically where unless you opt out of it, um, and most people have it. Now, that level of cover, as you know, Jack, as I've talked to you in the past, is usually inadequate if you've taken out a million-dollar loan in Sydney because yeah. it's usually a couple of hundred grand and it's not underwritten and there's there's could be exclusions for mental health and, and other things. So yeah. um, that's what most people have as a default cover. The other the policies which a financial advisor recommends is, is, is known as an underwritten or a, um, a standalone policy whereby they enter into a contract with an insurance company um, and they do the underwriting at the, at the time of application. So if they go to make a claim at later on, the underwriting's already been done on it. Um, it's not a people have got a big conception about insurance companies where they think that they're just going to get cover straight away when they apply. Um, the insurance company will ask you about your health. So one of the issues that we see as an advisor is we get a lot of older people who call us up and say oh ben i want to take out life insurance yeah yep cool and i say okay how old are you i'm 55 okay 
oh, the cost is going to be a couple thousand bucks. Oh, no problems, no problems. The reason why they're saying that is because they've, they've had health issues in the past. They've had friends who've you know passed away from mm-hmm. it or whatever. And when they go to get underwritten, they might actually have got a higher chance of getting knocked back as you get older than if you take out insurances when you're younger. Now, yeah. the reason for that is when you get older, you get a bit of wear and tear. You might have a health history of you know diabetes or have had cancer in the past or whatnot, um, and they may they may get knocked back. Um, from by the insurance company, so they won't take any money. They'll do an assessment and an application where they'll go through your health health history, and then they may knock you back. Um, with the younger people, it's a lot harder for us as advisors to to try and get them on board because when you're young, you think you're bulletproof, you've got no health I issues. Am, Why would I take I out insurances? <laughs> None of my friends have died. They don't realise it's taking out insurances when you got no, had nothing wrong with your health wise. You, you're going to have no exclusions or, or anything like that, which means that your policy is as good as it can be. Mm. And also, the premiums aren't that expensive because you're young and the probability of you dying is, is lower or getting injured is lower, and it mm. increases with age. So, as far as the application process goes, is you basically in, you're engaging into a contract with an insurance company, and, and before that contract's signed by both parties and in force they do a health questionnaire and then they can come back with, you know, an acceptance or a decline or amended terms or whatnot. Yeah. So it, it can take a period of time. We've got applications which can take six to 12 months to get over the line because of um, outstanding health um, inquiries from, you know, specialists or, you know, follow-up appointments which haven't been done. Um, other other applications with young people with no health issues, it could be sunk in about a week or two. So. It did, the time frame depends on the person and their, their health condition and what cover they're applying for and their age and whatnot. So yeah. usually young people with no health issues, a couple of weeks. Older people who've got a, who have had health issues, who've got medical conditions, can take three to six months. Yeah. But in having said that, there's a reason why it takes three to six months that's done properly and fairly and that if they ever go to make a claim, there's no skeletons in the closet which can you know knock back the claim. Yeah. So the cover that they, the default cover that they have in their super, yeah, that comes at a cost as well, right? Yeah. So it's they're known as pooled policies, and they they tend to um, pull smokers and non-smokers together. Um, generally speaking, life and TPD is probably twenty to thirty percent more expensive in as default cover through super than standalone cover. So if they come and see you. They could pay less. They could, but yeah, they, and, most and likely they will for life and TPD. Yeah, and and the premiums will be cheaper through yeah. standalone policies. And it's not just me; it's, it's any advisor they do it who does it through, you know, best interest duty and getting you know quotes and prices from different insurance companies. Um, just, just on that point, I'll say if one of your clients or you know anyone out there engages an advisor. The advice we insurance advice is viewed as personal advice, which means we've got to take into account their personal circumstances and we've got to act in their best interest, which means that we do go to different providers, like a bit like you do, Jack, with home loans, mm. and we see what different pricing they offer, you know, whether it's TAL, AIA or Clearview or any of those other big providers and the different terms and conditions. And then we say, based on the client's circumstances, this is the best provider for the client. And usually it's it's a lot cheaper than what they're paying for with their life and TPD through super. Yeah. It, it's significantly cheaper. Income protection is different. Um, the reason being is because that there's a lot of different terms with income protection compared to life and TPD. Um, things like waiting periods, benefit periods, and some insured. So quite often when they've got default cover through super, the benefit period may only be five years or two years as opposed to 
a 65 year benefit period through mm. that that will will offer and and that's the case because most of the time people work till they're 65 and they need to protect their income till yeah. 65 that's going to be more expensive policy than a two year benefit period generally mm. speaking so and that was one of the game changers for me when you know I, I knew about you I saw your card in the reception I saw yeah. you in the email trails but I never really understood it until you come out to the office and explained all this to me and as soon as that happened, I was, you know, talking to my clients actively about it, especially, you know, some people are, are trying to push themselves a lot in, you know, trying to buy properties, trying to get as much debt as they can. And they don't realize that sometimes shit can go bad. And just to have someone like you that, and, and it's, it's really simple as well. Like what you said, you could save the money and get them better cover and, and they don't even have the adequate cover to cover what they have. Yeah, and and, it's, and the way I explain it is hopefully you never claim on it. Hopefully it's yeah. just a couple of thousand bucks a year that you pay that you never claim on. But if something does happen, like, you know, you do, you do have a heart attack or a stroke, you can't work for a couple of years. It's a big, big difference having, you know, 10 grand a month coming in or five grand a month coming in through an income protection policy as opposed to nothing. That, yeah. that, that changes your life. That means the wheels don't fall off the bus. You can still pay the mortgage. You can still put food on the table. It's the same thing with having life insurance. It's a might cost you a couple hundred bucks a year, a couple thousand bucks a year if you're older. But if you were to pass away, that million bucks going to a beneficiary changes their life mm. as opposed to not having it. So it's it's well and truly worth it. Um, like I said, it's you're not going to get recommended policies through an advisor unless it's in your best interest to take them out. Yeah, whether you take them out or not, it's up to you at the end of the day. But what gets recommended to them through any advisor in the country now is, is in their best interest to take out. So what about income protection? Like how does that work? Because if say someone's 30 years old and they've got three investment properties and they get injured at work, how does that work? Do they, do they, do they come back to you or do they go directly okay. to the insurance company? Okay. Yeah. Good question. So it's the income protection policy. It doesn't matter what they've got, how many properties they've got. It's just basically if a doctor says that you can't perform your job, whether it's because of a physical condition or a mental condition, you can't go to work. Yep. Once the, the the wait period's been hit, you will get paid out that monthly payment. That monthly payment will continue until a doctor says, you know, you're right to go back to work, or or you hit the or you hit the um, benefit period, whether it's five years or to sixty five years of age. Yeah. Um, on your point about, you know, an example and, you know, this is just general advice, not giving personal advice on a specific example, but someone's got a couple you of personal properties. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, well, you know, we're heavily compliant um, and it just continues to be more compliant. But, you know, someone, a typical one of your clients, for example, someone who's got their own home in Sydney, they've got a bit of debt on that and they've got an investment property, one or two investment properties and a couple of young kids. Um, the investment property might be neutrally geared on the assumption that the person's paying tax and is earning an income. The moment mm. they're not paying tax and not earning an income, there's no negative gearing because mm. they're not they're not losing the money yeah. in tax. So all of a sudden, that neg- neutrally geared investment property becomes a, a, a burn in the back pocket, but there's no money coming because the person's injured. So it's a du- it's a double whammy to what normally occurs. So um, definitely, income protection for someone in that scenario is something that we'd we'd recommend. Yeah, and I mean there is still opportunity for someone to get a loan. If they've got income protection, as long as it's on the way all the way to retirement, I've had clients come to me in the past where they've <clears throat> they're on a, a policy all the way up until retirement. Yeah, there's a lender that'll give them a loan, like if they need a refinance or if they even if they want to purchase. So, just because they've stopped working and they 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 think their life's over, they're not going to invest anymore. 
if they've got the right cover, they can they can keep going or, or hold onto it for long enough to where they can sell because at the time that they get injured or something, might not be the right time. Could be a bad time for them to sell. But yeah, that's good, man. Um, what do we got here? Yeah, so I want to talk about the Royal Commission and how that uh, affected you and affected mortgage brokers as well. Yep. So you, were you in the game before the Royal Commission? I uh, started financial planning in 2014. Um, mm-hmm. So, the, you know, the Royal Commission was just kicking off a year or two after that. It was a long process, the Royal Commission. There was a, a lot of good things that came out of it um, in regards to reshaping the industry. Um, there was a lot How of- How so? Like, what was it like before and then after? What were the changes that were made? Well, a lot. That's the first thing. Um Yeah, there was a lot, a lot of changes. You talk about legislation and mm. and, and whatnot. It tight, it got rid of a, a lot of the conflicted remuneration, and a lot of the advice which wasn't in the client's best interest to take out. Um, after the Royal Commission, the whole concept of best interest duty was a big thing um, to act in the client's best interest at, um, for all, all advice and looking at them holistically. And and I think the industry's been better for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I actually got into broking around exactly when I started hearing Royal Commission. Yeah. And I was like early 20s, but I had no idea what yeah. was going on. And the broker just- that was getting me into it was telling me like, oh, like all this shit. Like they had no idea what was going on. Like looking back at it now, I don't think it was, I'm sure like he's still in the game. We're all good still. We're all, it's, we figured it out. But at the time it was happening, it was probably the worst time for me to get into it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think, um, yeah, further to what I said before, it, from a you know a business owner's perspective, whenever you've got royal commissions or regulatory changes going on in the industry, it, it's a lot of uncertainty that surrounds your business, and you, mm. you don't know if it's if it's worthwhile staying in the industry because there's a lot of stuff that's up in the air. There's a lot of stuff that's been proposed by politicians. You know, there was an election um, recently, as everyone knows, and you know the Liberal Party got kicked out and the Labor Party got, got voted in. Now, their policies were different to the Liberal Party's policies three years ago. However, recently they've changed to you know be, be similar. So there's a lot of stress that comes with all that, not knowing what's going to happen if a new political party gets in, not knowing how it's going to affect your business. And um, one of the, the downsides, in my view, to, to all the... Royal Commission, everything is just the, the level of compliance and, and admin and, and the cost burden to mm. a financial advisor. People don't understand how much compliance goes in behind the scenes when we do recommend something as simple as insurance advice, um, purely just to meet the regulators and our obligations um, yeah. requirements. And I'm assuming it's the same with you, with your responsible yeah. lending criteria. And We're doing a thousand whole, words it, it, per application. Yeah, and yeah. It, it, it's in my view, that's overkill. <laughs> oh, I'm not, yeah, it, it's overkill. Um, it, it consumes time and resources yeah. and it doesn't benefit, doesn't put the client in a better position. I don't believe it, mm. but I'm not the boss. I just get told what to do and we just follow what, what, what the guidelines are. Yeah. Um, you touched on before about um, the cost of living increasing and that's coinciding with interest rates. Yeah. Why are interest rates rising now? Okay, so I think what we're going to talk about now is what well, a lot of people are talking about. It's, it's sitting at home at the dinner table at yeah, night yeah. time. So the first thing I'd like to, the point that stands out for me is 
I think the cost of living rising is more more um, burdening on the family budget than the, the rising interest rates. For mm, example, I've got, I've got a couple of young kids, I've got a mortgage, and I've got to put food on the table. I notice it more in the weekly shop, the increase, mm. and you know, just the week, the cost of living for goods and services than I do with my mortgage rate going yeah. up. And I'm on a variable, so yeah. it's gone up like everyone else's. Um, so how they get the cost of living down is more important than how they control interest rates, yeah. as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Um, my view on how they get the cost of living down is you've got to increase the supply of energy and you've got to increase the supply of food. Two things which Australia's got pretty much an unlimited amount of, so I can't see why our cost of living for those two things are going through the roof and it yeah. flows onto everything else. So that's that's the one thing. They've got to control that. That's, that's Nuclear energy, mate. Yeah, well, it, it's it's just getting getting more supply of everything. Mm. And we've got supply of everything. We've got supply of fossil fuels. We've got supply of yeah. um, the sun shines in Australia quite a bit. So if you want to go down that path, go down that path. I'm not saying which political, which way to go go down, but I'm saying we've got an, a lot of everything. Yeah. So I don't understand why we're paying so much for everything. Um, Food-wise as well, we should be the food bowl of the whole of Southeast Asia. Mm. So I don't understand why food prices are going through the roof. Um, interest rates, why are they raising interest rates now? Um, well, they're the same as what they were 2019 pre-COVID. So it's normalizing, right? Yeah. Look, interest rates are a part of monetary policy and the government, central banks around the world are going, okay, well, we've got rising inflation. How do you fight rising inflation? You raise interest rates. It's the only tool they've got um, apart from reigning in spending, which is fiscal policy, yeah. um, which they're not going to do. Um, so they're going to raise rates. Now, mm. We've got higher inflation. Central banks think if I raise the interest rates, that'll bring down inflation, problem solved. Now, I don't think that's the case um, because as we talked about the rising cost of living and inflation side of things, it's all supply issues. So unless they fix the supply side of things, I don't think it's going to get down the cost of living by raising rates. Um, could It's going to push down hard assets, which is what we've seen, such as property and share market. That's what we've seen over the last sort of six months and um, will continue to do so. Um, my thoughts on where interest rates are going um, is the same as anyone thoughts. I, I don't know. No one's got a crystal ball, but I do think we're going to see the path of them raising rates a few more times. And then I think we're going to see some stage in the middle of next year them throwing in the towel and realising that the Australian economy can't deal with higher interest rates because the amount of debt that's been taken on at a national, state and, mm. and household level. Um, and then I think I actually think they're going to start cutting rates mm. at the end of next year sometime quite aggressively because they realise that we can't can't afford the higher rates. Yeah, That's my thoughts and you know, my thoughts are as good as anyone's on that, but that, that's what I think going to happen. Yeah. All right. Well, before I end it, I want to say <laughs> you've taught me something where anytime I'd send you a client, yeah. No matter how long it took you to, to get them on, you'd, you would always call me up and say, yeah, send them over, mate, keep sending them over. And I've started to do that with, with agents and it actually works, man. Like if you just ask, you just keep asking, yep, yeah, send them yeah. over. Like, <laughs> it's so funny, man, the way yeah. you do it. And it's um it's been good working with you, man. I yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, it's good. We've sort, yeah, look, we've sorted out a few of your clients and yeah. you know, they've been happy with it and hopefully yeah. can keep working in the future. But, uh, you know, I think, as a mortgage broker, a young mortgage broker who's, who's been in the game a couple of years, I think you've got a big future. Um, even if rates do rise, there's always going to be a market there for people needing to refinance or take out a home loan. Mm. Um, the investment side of things will probably dry up or slow down um, for a period of time. These mm. things go in cycles. Um, and 
and and people are more often than not need their well they need their insurance reviewed. If we can't help them out, we just tell them we can't help them out. Yeah, um, yeah. But but it gives me peace of mind too. Yeah, like it's some like some people are very aggressive with how how quickly quickly they want to buy, and um, sending them to you, giving them that insurance gives me insurance. Like okay, yeah. like that's yeah, good. Because if if shit goes wrong and they're looking for someone to blame. Yeah. It's it's gonna be someone. So yeah. if but if they've got insurance and they're all good, then that's yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well thanks for coming on, man. I look forward to getting you on again. Yeah, no no worries, Mr. Rassim. I will be back and um, yeah. hopefully we can talk about more subject matter moving forward. Yeah. All right, so anyone watching at home, all the show notes will be in the description for Ben and like, subscribe, or YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Thanks for watching. Thank you.